I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. This episode of Kiwi Birth Tales is proudly brought to you by Elevate, with you every step. Today I was privileged enough to speak with the lovely Mel who has recently given birth in the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, She takes us through multiple losses before her successful pregnancy with her daughter Mia and she had polyhydramnios, I hope I've said that correctly, throughout her pregnancy which was of concern and they thought for a little while that she might have gestational diabetes but turns out that she didn't and the polyhydramnios actually sorted itself out by the end. She then takes us through hiring a doula for some birth anxiety and some hypnobirthing techniques as well and then into finding out that we were in level 4 lockdown as a country and she wouldn't be able to have her doula at her birth. So this was pretty early on when lockdown had only just started and she was, yeah, she sort of says herself that she was a little bit naive to the fact of what was going on and what lockdown actually meant. She actually went into labour the day of lockdown. So she takes us through what her hospital experience was like into her birth story and then being discharged and also having to return to hospital for little Mia. She needed some extra assistance there for a little while and what that was like returning to hospital in the lockdown. So it's a really interesting episode but also a really positive experience. Given everything that's sort of going on at the moment I thought it was really important to get this episode out to you all as fast as I could and I hope that it helps ease some anxiety for you pregnant mamas out there who are giving birth in yeah some really unprecedented times. So my heart absolutely goes out to all of you and I hope that you take some comfort in this episode. I will stop talking now and let's jump into it. Hi Mel, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi Jordan, no problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Mel. I'm 30 years old and I live in Tauranga. Um, and I own a digital marketing company here. Um, and spend my time working between here and Australia. Um, my husband is Lyndon and he is a residential builder. And we now also have our daughter Mia, who's three weeks old, uh, yesterday. Awesome. She's very new. Very, very cute. new. <laughs> Yeah, cool. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys? A bit of a whirlwind, actually. Um, I was on contraception on the pill um, and came off the pill in uh, August of 2018, it must have been. We were, I was about to take off to Europe for six weeks um, on holiday and for work. 
by myself. So I thought I'll just come off contraception and give my body a bit of a break um, while I'm away. Um, And so I did that and that was all fine. Uh, And then when I came home um, in early October, I um, kind of just didn't really think about going back on it. And um, I um, remember um, in early November getting a really bad cold or a really bad flu, it felt like, and feeling really, really under the weather. Uh, my husband was away. He was working in the Coromandel. Um, so I was just kind of at home trying to get better. And then once the the cold had kind of passed, I remember just feeling really exhausted and super, super tired. Um, and yeah, it was a bit, it was just a bit odd. And then I remember sitting on the couch thinking to myself, gosh, I don't remember when I had my last period. Um, and so then the next morning I woke up and thought, okay, I better go and get a pregnancy test. And I did, and I came home and I took it and it was positive. Um, so I went and got four more from pack and save down <laughs> the road, came home and did all of them and they were all positive and, um, rang my husband and, um, and cried actually. I, I was, very overwhelmed it was unexpected um so yeah so it turned out that um that we were pregnant and um it was all a bit of a shock um and anyway I kind of um kind of came came around to it and we I went and got a dating scan and they placed me at about five weeks um so uh that was cool we told my parents at Christmas um and we were all super excited and then on um New Year's Day I started getting um, cramps like menstrual cramps and I um, ended New Year's Day miscarrying that pregnancy which was um, really difficult to be honest way to start 2019 um, yeah. so that was a that was a bit of a shock to the system and I remember um, you know kind of thinking I would have been um, just just over 11 weeks by then um, and I remember thinking to myself you know okay well this was you know this happens to a lot of people and um it's a lot more common than we think and you know it's not it's not so common to happen again so you know onwards and upwards we hadn't really been trying so I just kind of I, I think I'd always had it in my head it was going to take us a really long time to get pregnant um and yeah. so it was a bit of a shock when it had kind of happened so I just kind of tried to you know keep marching forward and then um in February I got another another flu <laughs> another cold <laughs> and um and kind of went through the same process and thought to myself gosh you know, my, my boobs are really, really sore. I better do another pregnancy test. So I did another pregnancy test and we, we found out I was pregnant again, um, which was super quick. I hadn't even had a period between the last miscarriage yeah. and the pregnancy. Um, so, um, I booked in for a dating scan to find out how far along I was. Um, and again, just felt really tired and really, really awful. Um, and, went went through Easter um and then on Easter Sunday I woke up in the night again really really bad cramping and and had a miscarriage on Easter Sunday of 2019 so it was that was a lot harder because I'd kind of talked myself into the fact that you know two miscarriages in a row was much less common and um yeah so so I found the second miscarriage I was I wasn't as far along but emotionally it was a lot more difficult for me um and anyway, so then um, I thought to myself, okay, we'll better go back on contraception. We need to, you know, um, not have this happen again. Went and saw my GP and said to her, you know, I've had these two miscarriages in a row. Can you please refer me? And she said, 
um, refer me for testing or, or to find out what's going on. And she said to me, um, look, you actually have to have three to qualify for a referral, mm-hmm. which was really difficult because it felt like um, the two that I had experienced were were like I hadn't met some kind of criteria, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of um, got a bit upset at that point and she referred me anyway, um, which was great. Um, so she put a referral into Fertility Associates. And at that point she said to me, oh, um, Mel, you're, you're O negative blood type. Did you know that? Um, and I didn't really know what the implications of that were or what that meant. Um, but she she kind of made a point that, when you're an O negative blood type or Reese's negative blood type, um, you can have issues with, with fertility and pregnancy because yeah. your body, um, if your partner's blood type is different, can shut down the pregnancy. Um, so anyway, um, we kind of parked it and waited for our referrals come through from fertility associates. Um, and then in August of last year, I found myself, um, with the flu and a bit of a cold, um, and, um, thought to myself, oh gosh, you know, I know what my body feels like when it's pregnant now. I've done this in my third rodeo. Um, and sure enough, I took a pregnancy test and, um, I was at a, a painting workshop for the weekend with my mum. I'd taken her to an art class and I remember standing in the art class and suddenly feeling super, super faint um, and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to get another test. So I got a test on the way home and came home with it. It was a Saturday night and did the test and sure enough, I was pregnant again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I um, booked in for a dating scan and uh, I was five weeks. They put me at five weeks, which again was really difficult because um, off the back of that and being only at five weeks again, I just really felt like um, like super high anxiety because um, I didn't yeah. feel like I could go through another, you know, 10, 11 week pregnancy to have another miscarriage. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was quite stressful. Um, we got to the eight week scan and saw a heartbeat. Um, and then, um, yeah, finally made it to the 12 week scan. And I feel like once I hit that 12 week mark, um, which was a milestone for me, um, I began to feel a lot more confident. Um, but I'd certainly say like, yeah, that early pregnancy for me was, especially the third one was super, super, um, high anxiety the whole time. Um, just kind of, you know, trying to tick off milestones and things. So yeah, that was, it was a bit of a whirlwind, but but we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. And were you working with like a midwife or sort of how were you managing your anxiety in those early stages? I can only imagine how you would have felt during that time. Yeah. I, um, the first two pregnancies I, I had found a midwife. Um, I had found one midwife and on when I found out I was pregnant for the third time, I decided to change midwives. And I think that was more just because I couldn't, bear the thought of like I wanted to change the whole experience for myself I couldn't bear the thought of having the same midwife going to the same place and speaking and telling her again you know that we'd lost the pregnancy and um in terms of the anxiety um I have a a close girlfriend who has had experienced multiple miscarriages and I really relied on her to be honest I definitely had um a point at which I decided I was going to go and see my GP. Um, and I had said to myself, you know, like, um, if, if I'm still feeling really awful and really anxious and, you know, by this time next week, I'm going to make sure I go and see somebody because, um, this is this, you know, this is not really in my character. 
Um, yeah. But um, to be honest, I, I, I kind of came through it once we started to hit some more milestones. So I was kind of just felt yeah. like I was holding on to hit that 12 week mark, which I know is not, you know, um, necessarily an indication that the rest of your pregnancy is going to go well. But, um, but for me, it was just like once I hit that milestone and was further along and I felt I began to feel better. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of, I didn't end up going to see anybody. Um, I just tried to manage it myself and by talking to, yeah, to my close friend about it. And she was great. I think just talking about it yeah. with her was probably enough for me, um, at that point. Yeah. Cool. And did they do anything for your O negative blood type? I know sometimes you have to take some type of medication or yeah, I know they manage yeah. that in some way. Did you have to do anything? Yeah. So, um, in the third pregnancy, when I was pregnant with Mia, I had to have, um, injections. So I had my first, um, that that was called anti-D and, um, I think I had, I must've had three injections throughout the course of the pregnancy, one at 20 weeks, one at, um, 26 weeks, I think it was, and maybe 34. And then I had another anti-D injection when she was born. Um, and that just makes sure that the blood, um, your blood and the baby's blood, um, doesn't mix in the event that the blood types are different. Um, so that was pretty straightforward. The midwife just administered them for me, um, at the hospital here in Tauranga, um, and yeah, it was a bit of a non-event really. Um, they just kept an eye on yeah. it and, um, yeah, that was it. It was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And mm. how were you feeling sort of once you passed that first trimester? Did you have many other symptoms like morning sickness or anything else? What was your sort of pregnancy journey like? Um, I, the first 12 weeks I was super anxious and I was so unbearably tired. Um, in yeah. fact, the tiredness went to probably week 16 I think I was kind of napping every day I was also traveling a lot to Australia for work and I remember being um, in a meeting with a client in Australia and sitting there with with him and then suddenly feeling like I was going to faint um, and I said to him I'm really sorry I think I'm good and at this point none of my clients knew that I was pregnant um it was something I hadn't told them yet, and I remember saying to him, "I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna faint," um, and I ended up having to go to the um, GP on campus at the at the client's workplace, um, who told me off for for having low blood sugar and needing to take better care of myself. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, once I hit that kind of sixteen week mark, the tiredness um, kind of yeah dissipated, and I. My second trimester, I was firing on all cylinders. I had so much energy, um, and I was feeling really, really good. I began to get a bit of, um, round ligament pain. Um, and I certainly, you know, toward the end was, was struggling a little bit. Um, but one of the, one of the things that happened to me during my pregnancy was that I developed, um, a condition called polyhydramnios, which is oh, yeah. basically, um, it's high levels of amniotic fluid. So, um, I had a scan at about 26 weeks and, um, the sonographer said to me, Oh, you've got, you've got a big swimming pool here. <laughs> um, and <laughs> basically, um, yeah, what it meant was just that it's typically related to gestational diabetes. So I did my gestational diabetes test, my first one, and, um, that came back as negative. Um, but then when they diagnosed me with polyhydramnios, um, they asked me to do the second two hour gestational diabetes test, um, which also came back as negative. So there was no clear indicator as to why. Um, and I did, I did speak to the midwife about it quite a lot. Um, and she referred me onto the obstetric team because what happens with polyhydramnios is that, 
um, if you have a high level of amniotic fluid and then your waters break and your baby's not engaged, you one of the well the biggest risk I suppose is that you could have a cord prolapse if the cord's sitting underneath the baby's yeah. head. So that was something that they really wanted to manage and, and mitigate. Um and I did I did really feel like um every time I spoke to the midwifery team, because I had a team of six midwives, every time I spoke to what some somebody in the midwifery team about it all we focused on was this worst case scenario of um of what could go wrong, which was actually a little bit stressful. Um, yeah. So I started looking for kind of um, ways to, like I did a bit of research and was looking for ways to kind of deal with it and manage it because I didn't really want to go through the obstetric team at the hospital if I didn't have to. Um, and um, I got acupuncture. I started getting acupuncture for it. And the acupuncturist who was amazing, he's such a legend, a guy here in Tauranga, um, he said to me, oh, Mal, the way to deal with polyhydramnius, one of the things that can help is eating radish <laughs> so I ate so much freaking radish honestly um, and I was having scans every two weeks and every two weeks I'd just stock up on radish and then I'd go to these ultrasounds to see what my what my fluid levels were um, and unfortunately I have got to say the the um, radish didn't seem to be working um, but at um, 30 34 weeks I had another scan um, and then I was referred into the obstetric team at Todong Hospital where I had an appointment to go and see them and um, the polyhydramnius had actually settled down by itself which is really oh, common cool. um, so that was amazing so I went into the into the appointment you know kind of thinking worst case scenario that they'd put me on bed rest at the hospital or that they would induce me um, to make sure they could manage my waters breaking um, but instead they said uh, don't worry about it. Your your poly your amniotic fluid levels have come down, um, so we're going to discharge you back into the care of your midwifery team, um, which was amazing. Um, so apparently, it is quite common for polyhydramnius to kind of sort itself out, but it was just a bit yeah. weird that there was no real, real cause, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the result of the polyhydramnius is that I was carrying really big. I was carrying forty weeks at um thirty two. Um, yeah. just because of the fluid levels. And um, so I was pretty uncomfortable by the end of it. But um, yeah. but towards the end of my pregnancy, I actually seemed to, like my belly got smaller rather than larger, um, yeah. which was kind of nice. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, it, I think, everything that happened kind of after that 12-week mark, apart from the polyhydramnius stuff, was was pretty good. I had a pretty good pregnancy. Yeah. I was pretty lucky. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And did you do any antenatal or birthing classes? Yes, we did. We did um, antenatal class. We did a two-day class here at the birthing centre, um, and that was really good. Uh, it was pretty informative for my husband particularly, found it quite yeah. um, interesting, I think. I did, um, I did some hypnobirthing, and also one of the things that we did, because I had quite high anxiety around the whole thing, um, was that early on in my pregnancy, I made the decision to hire a doula. So um, I got a doula on board. I must have been about 16 weeks when we decided that we wanted to have a doula present at the birth. Um, and it was really just to help control my anxiety um, and, you know, help my husband. Um, and, um, yeah, she she was awesome. She ran a local class um, in Papamoa here called the Peaceful Pregnancy Circle, which was a, um eight-week course 
Um, and you know, she covered off like the basics of hypnobirthing breathing and a bunch of other things. And I also did a lot of online hypnobirthing myself. I read a few books, um, like, um, birth skills, um, by Juju. Um, oh, I can't remember her last name. Juju Sinkin. So that's the one. Yeah. I think that's quite popular. Um, and I also read a lot of birth stories, um, from the positive birth company in the UK and they had, um, some quite good hypnobirthing videos, um, and the founder of that's written the hypnobirthing book that I read as well. So I was really focused on trying to, um, yeah, trying to get my head around hypnobirthing and just kind of manage my anxiety, um, which was good. It all made a lot of sense to me. So, um, yeah, that was kind of what we did. I suppose one of the things with antenatal is that we didn't really feel like we did our antenatal class and ended up with best friends for life from, from the yeah. class. Um, like some people do. Um, but the, the peaceful pregnancy circle course that I did, um, the girls in that, that course are all amazing and we all kind of have a group that we keep in touch and stuff. So I was the first one, I think, out of that group to, to give birth. I think the others are still waiting. Um, so yeah. yeah. So that was, I'm really glad I did that. Um, and my doula was the one who was running that course as well. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Very mm. cool. And obviously things um, came to a fairly massive change for you with this COVID-19 stuff towards the end of your pregnancy. Yeah. 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 So I'd love for you to sort of talk us through maybe what your birth plan or ideal birth would have been pre-COVID-19 sure. and then maybe um, the early impacts that that may have changed for you. Yeah, sure. So um, it was funny, really. I went on maternity leave um, a couple of weeks before uh, I was due. And the reason for that was that because I have my own company, um, I really wanted to kind of hand the ropes over to my team um, and give them enough time to kind of get their head around things in case there was yeah. something that happened bef- um, before I before I needed the time off. Um, so I kind of squeezed in an extra couple of weeks of maternity leave uh, mm-hmm. under the pretense of being there to support them if they needed me. But actually, um, I spent most of my time just kind of in my bubble at home. Um, and obviously things were beginning to ramp up with the COVID-19 conversation around that time as well. Um, I think I kind of was a little bit naive to kind of what was happening um, because I was just at home, you know, making lasagnas and and, um, (laughs) trying to be as prepared as possible. Um, And then um, I remember a couple of days before I went into labor, um, there there was the announcement was made that um, because of the spread of COVID-19 and the precautions that we were taking in, and the um the alert system was announced that the only person that would be allowed at my birth was my husband. Um yeah. so that meant that um Sophia, my doula, wasn't able to attend the birth. Um and that was I think when when it kind of started to kick in for me was that um when we found out that she wouldn't be able to attend, um, I kind of suddenly realized that actually maybe things would change. So my ideal birth plan was um the birthing center but we had been told by the obstetric team that that they would prefer me to birth at the hospital because I had a big baby on board. Um, yeah. And so um, I think for a while I was kind of backwards and forwardsing because the birthing cent- going to the birthing centre would have meant I could have had the doula there, um, but then going to the hospital would have meant I couldn't. But I also, part of me felt like I needed to 
to be there because that was the recommendation from the obstetric team. And in the end, yeah. um, I spoke about it with my husband and with my parents and we made the decision that the hospital was probably the best place for me. Um, and that was where I felt like I would be the most comfortable. So, um, so that was the decision we made. And once we made that decision, um, despite the fact we knew that, um, Sophia wouldn't be able to attend, um, I kind of had a bit more peace of mind, I suppose, um, because I had a plan. I felt like I had a plan. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got to say, like, I think, um, the Tauranga Hospital maternity facilities, I had a tour of them when I went up for one of my anti-D injections and I was quite pleasantly surprised, really. Like, I didn't yeah. think that the, um, it was too bad. Um, so yeah, we made that decision. Um, and, um, then, yeah, then obviously all the rules and regulations and things began to change. And, yeah. um, I remember on the Tuesday, the announcement was made that we were moving to a level four lockdown. Um, and that, you know, we would be going into isolation for four weeks. And to be honest, I just feel like I was a little bit, um, naive and a little bit in la la land about what that could have meant for us. Um, what I didn't realize was that I'd gone to labor that night. So, um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we, probably would have had a conversation with my parents particularly who live 10 minutes up the road about you know who would be in our bubble and how that would work once I went into labor but I actually um you know we I found out that we were going into lockdown um for four weeks and then I went into labor three hours later so um it was I didn't really have time to think about it to be honest um yeah but I was lucky enough that I was still at the point like you know we were still at the point where Linda and my husband was able to attend the birth um and yeah. and there hadn't really been any regulations put in at that point around what he couldn't and couldn't do so that kind of all came later yeah, yeah. um but the cool. but not being able to have the doula there was a bit of a um it, it was a it was a bit of a panic but I feel like we just kind of dealt with it yeah 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 and do you want to take hmm. us through sort of going into labor and how far along you were and what happened from there yeah sure so um we yeah, like I said, I was doing this this peaceful pregnancy course. It was eight weeks, and um, and um, the last two weeks we actually did it on a Zoom call, um, rather than meeting in person in Papua. And um, we, I was on the Zoom call just before we got on the Zoom call. I remember feeling some kind of cramping, um, some kind of period pain type cramps. I was sitting at the kitchen table on my um, Swiss ball, and I thought to myself, oh okay, there's a couple of cramps here, but I had read enough birth stories and listened to enough of the stories on your <laughs> podcast to know that, um, you know, there was the potential that this could, this could happen for a little while and, you know, probably didn't yeah. mean anything. So I jumped on the Zoom call um, and one of the things we were doing on the Zoom call was practicing kind of breathing techniques. And as the Zoom call got further and further, um, like as we got further and further into it, my cramps started turning into contractions. Um, so, you know, everybody's doing this kind of breathing and making these humming sounds. And here's me on the other end on mute on zoom, actually <laughs> using the, using the practice to breathe through these contractions. And I hadn't said anything to anyone, um, on the call. Um, but by the time we got off the call, it was pretty clear that I, that they were getting more and more regular. Um, so we called the midwife and I just said to her, look, I think I'm in labor. Um, and she said to me, all right, you know, buckle in, like you've got it. You're going to, you're going to be in labor for a few hours. So make yourself comfortable. Um, if the pain, if you start to get, you know, pain or it gets a bit much, get in the shower or the bath. 
Um, and so that was fine. Um, but I felt like they were like my contractions were quite intense. Um, so we got in the bath. I got in the bath and um, after a while I said to Lyndon, we probably need to time these contractions because they were coming quite thick and fast. And the midwife had said, give us a call back when you're, you know, three contractions in 10 minutes. Um, so I was in the bath for probably 20 minutes and I was using an app um, called the Freya app to time my contractions. And we realized I was having um, a contraction every one and a half minutes and they were lasting for, for 90 seconds. So 30 minutes later, we rang the midwife back. Um, and by this point, I couldn't really speak through my contractions. I couldn't talk. And I started yeah. vomiting. Um, so I was like, okay, this is the real deal where <laughs> this is happening. Um, so we rang the midwife back and she said, okay, well, based on where you guys live, it sounds like Mel needs some pain relief. Why don't you come into the hospital? Um, so we drove into the hospital. I remember, um, it's funny how you lose your memory a little bit, but I do remember, um, on the way in, you know, we had all our bags packed and then on the way in, I said to Lyndon, Oh my God, we haven't got drink bottles. We haven't got drink bottles. You're going to have to turn mm -hmm. around. And instead we stopped at the Caltex and Lyndon ran in and got us some drink bottles and I was contracting in the car and, um, and we got to the hospital and, um, the midwife examined me and I was six centimeters. Um, and I'd gone from nothing to six centimeters in literally about an hour and a half, um, yeah. which was pretty crazy. And I remember just feeling so relieved that they weren't going to send me home. Um, and so I got in the, I got in the, um, pool in the birthing pool at the hospital. Um, and I was in there for a little while. And then I, I kind of hit that point where I, I said to both Lyndon and to the midwife, I don't think I can do this. I don't, you know, I can't do this. I need an epidural. This is awful. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'd done enough hypnobirthing reading to kind of understand that potentially that was me transitioning. Um, yeah. and, um, I ha did have this kind of overwhelming desire to push. Um, and so the midwife said to me, oh, Mal, you've, you know, we're expecting a big baby. Um, so can I suggest that we get you out of the pool and you birth on the bed? Um, so I got out of the pool and I remember saying to them, I need to go to the toilet and sitting on the toilet and facing the wall of the toilet and saying, I need an epidural. I need an epidural. And oh, the baby's coming, but I'm going to have my baby on the toilet. <laughs> ah! And, um, I think I was doing quite a bit of swearing at that point at, at my poor husband and at my midwife. Um, and she said, okay, we'll get back on the bed. I'm going to examine you again. And I was fully dilated by that point. Um, but we also realized that Mia had turned posterior um, and I was asking for an epidural and they had said to me, you know, Mel, there's no point in, in giving you an epidural now. You're going to have a baby in 20 minutes, you know, yeah. um, and um, and then they realized she'd turned posterior. And so the midwife said to me, look, your contractions are actually beginning to slow down. She's posterior. We are going to get you an epidural because we're going to need to put you on a drip. Um so that's what happened. We They put me back on the bed and um, we waited for the anaesthetist. He took a couple of hours because he was in surgery. Um, and then he came and they gave me a walking epidural, um, which meant that I was able to move around. Um, and I think it's like um, low or high, low concentration, high dose epidural or something. Um, but basically right. I was still able to feel, um, feel my legs and feel the contractions and things. And then they put me on the syntocin drip. Um, and I pushed, um, and I pushed and I pushed <laughs> and she just wasn't moving. And it turns out that she was sideways. So her nose was kind of pointing at my thigh. Um, and with yeah. every contraction, even though I was pushing, she just wasn't moving down. Um, 
So the obstetrician came in and had a look and said, look, I'm going to give you another hour. Um, and if she doesn't come within the hour, then we're going to need to do an assisted forcep delivery. Um, and man, I have never pushed so hard in my life. <laughs> um, but unfortunately she was stubborn and she didn't want to come. Um, so at seven yeah. o'clock in the morning, the obstetrician came in and they delivered her with forceps. And I remember, um, just before the forcep delivery, um, thinking, Oh my God, there's been a terrible mistake. Like there's not a baby here. This is, this isn't happening. There's been a mistake. <laughs> Guys, there's no baby. There's no baby. And then yeah, five minutes later, they, they delivered her. And, and to be honest, like the forcep delivery, that was something I was quite scared of, but actually, um, I found it totally fine. Um, yeah. they had, they, the epidural had kind of kicked in by then and, um, yeah. And then she was here and, and they put her on my chest and we had skin to skin. Um, and we didn't have delayed cord clamping, um, but the pediatrician was there just in case, and she cried straight away. And then um, Lyndon cut the cord, and I delivered the placenta naturally. Um, and, um, yeah, they gave me another anti-D injection. And, um, yeah, we spent the first hour kind of cuddled up um, before mm. they moved us into the maternity ward, which was awesome. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we went back to the maternity ward, and, and um, Lyndon – decided to take um, some time and go home and have a shower and a bit of a sleep and stuff because it was 7 o'clock in the morning by then. Um, and I don't really remember what happened those few hours after. I think I was just kind of <laughs> in a bit of la-la land. Um, yeah. But he, ca he came back later on in the afternoon and, um, yeah. And so it was It was really, like, I feel like it was pretty positive. Um, it was pretty positive even though it probably wasn't my kind of experience I had planned you know sure. um yeah it was all good yeah yeah so yeah. it was pretty fast it was 12 hours end to end um yeah and it probably would have been a lot faster if she hadn't been <laughs> so tricky yeah yeah awesome and were the staff um in the maternity suite with you in PPE gear or they were wearing gloves and masks or anything like that um, not at that point. So yeah. what happened was, um, once we got into the maternity ward, I was in a shared room and, but there was nobody else in my shared room. So we knew that there was a possibility that somebody else might come along. Um, Lyndon left and went home and had a shower and I had some nurses, but they weren't in PPE gear or anything. Um, yeah. and then what kind of changed was that Lyndon came back, um, the next day. Um, so he came back and left again, and then the next day he came back in the morning. He must have come back about nine o'clock in the morning, and we kind of thought, you know, he'll come into the hospital, um, and then he might stay for a couple of hours, and then he'll go, and then he'll come back in the afternoon. Um, I was like hoping he'd be able to bring me sushi or something, but at that yeah. point, all of the food places had been closed. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, and then what we found was that when he arrived at nine o'clock in the morning, he came up to the ward and he said to me, "Oh, I'm not allowed to leave, Mal." Once I leave, I'm I'm not allowed back. Um, yeah. So he had to stay the whole day. Um, and um, at that point, we found out that Mia, even though I, I had had the anti-D injections, um, Mia and my blood type and Mia's blood type had mixed. Um, yeah. So she had what was called DAT positive, um, a DAT positive score, and she was quite severely jaundiced. So um, basically the impact of that is that my blood cells were attacking her red blood cells. Um, yeah. And so she um, 
needed to stay in hospital and, you know, there wasn't really a chance that we were going to be able to be discharged that day yeah. um, and go home. So, um, so Lyndon stayed for the day and um, we just kind of had our first day in hospital together. And then when he left, um, one of the midwives came up to me and she said to me, look, I'm really sorry, Mel, but the rules have now changed and your husband's not going to be allowed back at all mm-hmm. um, because he's left the ward. He's not allowed back in again. Um, yeah. And that was probably the moment where, um, yeah, it was really difficult because we weren't allowed to be discharged because of Mia. Um, but he wasn't allowed back and he found it just as hard as we did, you know, like he just had this baby and he wasn't allowed back in the ward to see her or see me. But I've got to say like, um, in the maternity ward, it was like being in a bubble. Like, um, the, the nurses at that point weren't wearing, um, PPE. They, it was just like business as usual. Um, except obviously there was no visitors in the ward at all. Um, and, um, then I found out that they'd changed the rules so that basically, um, your birthing partner could be there for two hours and, and then needed to leave after two hours if you were in a shared room. So they weren't allowed back in to see anybody. So, I mean, everybody was in the same boat. Um, and there was like, I suppose when you've got a newborn and your newborn is screaming her head off all night, um, (laughs) it's a little bit overwhelming and then that on top. But, um, but we just tried to stay like positive, I suppose. And, and the nurse, I feel like the nurses and the midwives were probably more attentive. Um, because they were there trying to be real emotional support as well as the practical stuff. Um, so, you know, even that we ended up being in hospital for um, four days um, the first time. And um, yeah, they were all amazing. They were so amazing. So even though Lyndon wasn't able to be there, I was video calling them a couple of times a day. Um, yeah. And the nurses really like stepped it up in terms of the emotional support. I definitely had a few cries to a few different yeah. nurses and all of them, all of them helped me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a bit of a shift, but, um, but it was okay. We were okay. Yeah. And how yeah. was she going with latching on? Did you sort of get the hang of that while you were in hospital? Yeah, well, we, um, because she was so jaundiced, she was kind of sleeping all day and then screaming her head off all night. Um, and on the second and third night, like I hadn't really thought about what happens after you have a baby. <laughs> I, yeah. um, like I was so concerned about getting through my birth with my doula yeah. and things that I hadn't yeah. really thought about what comes <laughs> next. Um, and this, the second night was difficult. Man, oh man, I, I just didn't know, you know. Um, and I remember at 4.30 in the morning, ringing the bell for the nurse, the midwife and the midwife coming and me being like, you have to just, please just take her. I don't know what to do. She hates me. Um, and it was because my milk hadn't come in and she was hungry. And, um, the midwives at the Tauranga hospital were amazing. They, I had this one midwife who came into me and she said to me, right, Mel, we are going to feed the jaundice out of Mia. That's what we're going to do. Um, and I just, it was at the point where I needed to be told what to do. Like she was like a grandma who like gave me some direction, you know? Um, and so they bought me in a, they bought me in a pump. Um, and Mia was latching, but she just, she just wasn't getting what she needed, I suppose. Um, and so they bought me in an electric pump and they gave me a, um, clipboard with a, with a piece of paper on it. And they said to me, she said to me, right, I want you to feed Mia on one side. Then I want you to feed her on the other side. 
and then I want you to ex- I want you to top her up with express breast milk. Then I want you to get on the pump and I want you to pump one side and then I want you to pump the other side. And then you've got five minutes to have a nap and then you do it all over again. Um, <laughs> and so we did. I did that for um, 15 hours. Um, yeah. non-stop and um, when I and I had to record all of the, you know the amounts I'd pumped and topped her up and I remember one of the nurses coming in the next morning to see how I was getting on and over 15 hours I'd expressed 10 mils of colostrum <laughs> and I just remember crying and just saying yeah. to her like I can't do this anymore um, but then my milk came in and when my milk came in it came in and um, honestly I was like I think it was just all the pumping. Um, I could have fed, you know, if New Zealand has a milk shortage over this COVID-19 thing, I would definitely be able to help. Um, yeah. And actually um, that really, really helped with her jaundice levels as well. So, um, you know, I think the the experience in hospital, having a couple of days just there by myself with Mia, but with these amazing midwives, I can't speak more highly of them. Like they took the yeah. time to sit with me teach me they took her away when I was feeling overwhelmed um and I just tried to milk them for all the knowledge I could um and I'm really grateful because since we've been home we haven't had any troubles with feeding um we've got you know her latch is good we've we it's definitely taken a bit of practice but um but I've been really lucky I haven't had any trouble with like cracked nipples or anything because I feel like we just we we practice a lot really early on um yeah and so, yeah, so um, the breastfeeding thing has actually been a lot easier since we've been home than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, awesome. And yeah. how did you yeah. feel sort of leaving the hospital and going home and ad- adjusting to life as a new mum and I guess sort of trying to keep your bubble and not being able to have visitors and, yeah, what a crazy yeah. time. So what was that like? um, So we left the hospital um, when they, they gave her the all clear to come home when her jaundice levels went down a little bit. And, um, I had the skibu doctors come up and look at her and kind of talk to me about her blood, her blood issue and what that would mean. And basically it just means that we have a nurse come once a week and do blood tests on her. Um, and the nurse is still able to come into our house, um, and do her blood tests in our lounge and things, which has actually been really good. Um, we, when we left the hospital, um, Lyndon wasn't allowed. He was allowed back in the hospital to pick us up, but he had to wait in the waiting room. Um, he wasn't allowed down into the ward. Um, so we went up to the waiting room, um, and at that point there was a fire, um, a fire alarm, which was pretty <laughs> stressful. Um, so everyone, no one was kind of allowed to do anything, and we were just stuck in the waiting room of the hos- of the maternity ward for maybe an hour and a half <laughs> while the fire alarms went off. Um, and then we left the hospital and. That was for me like a bit of an eye opener because, um, as we left the hospital, visually it was pretty intimidating. You know, there was like security out the front and I'd just been in this little maternity bubble, not really, um, kind of considering what was going on outside, but well was me because my husband couldn't be there. But, um, it was when I left that almost it all kind of became real. Um, we came home, um, and that was awesome and kind of started, settled into life here. Um, my parents haven't met me yet. They only live 10 minutes up the road, but they are not in our bubble. My my mum works in a school, so we decided it was better to be safe than sorry, especially with Mia's red blood cell um, issue. Um, yeah. So that's been, that was a little bit difficult. And then a couple of days after we got home, um, Mia 
she kind of woke up and had a bit of like a sticky kind of eye. Like it looked like sleep in her eye. But um, as the day went on and on, um, she her face started to kind of swell pretty rapidly. And I was sending photos to the midwife. And um, at midnight um, on the Friday night, we came home on the Saturday, so it was five days later. Um, at midnight on the Friday night, the midwife rang me um, and she said to me, look, I've sent the photos of Mia's face to um, the pediatric team at the hospital. You need to get her into emergency. Um, so at one o'clock in the morning, I drove Mia back into the emergency department at Tauranga Hospital um, to, ha- to have her eye looked at. And um, I've got to say, like, I've never been to emergency, but um, – it was empty. It was completely empty. And yeah. apparently that never happens. Um, and it was because everyone's at home. Um, so yeah. we saw the, we saw the, um, Skibu doctor. Um, and they said she has, um, preorbital cellulitis, cellulitis, which is basically like, um, a more intense version of conjunctivitis, basically an infection. Um, and they admitted us to the pediatric ward. Um, so we were in the hospital again for two more nights, um, yeah. three days. Um, and that was a bit more intense in terms of the impact of the COVID and the lockdown because yeah. all the nurses there were in PPE. Um, but again, like it was visually intimidating, you know, every time they came into our room, it, they were completely robed up in yellow, kind of like hazmat suit things and masks. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it didn't change the quality of care we got. Um, and, um, I think they were probably more comfortable because they were protected. Um, and it was, it was really became apparent that it was, you know, for our safety and for Mia's safety, just as much as for theirs. Um, and again, like, you know, the, they were all amazing. They made me toast at four in the morning and all sorts of things and, um, and just really, really nice. So, um, being back in the pediatric ward was a bit, a bit crap to be honest um but again like I just felt like we were in the right place um and um yeah and then we we were there a few days they put her on an antibiotic drip um and then we came home and she was on oral antibiotics for another week um and that was when having Jenny the skaboo nurse who comes to our house on a Tuesday um to do her bloods was really helpful because I was able to ask Jenny lots of questions oh about my God, I um, know Jenny everything. she's amazing oh yeah she's a, she's <laughs> the best day eh? oh my gosh yeah. we have an agreement that she'll come up and I can ask her anything I want as long as I make her a cup of coffee so oh, hearing her name honestly almost <laughs> yeah, makes me cry she's, she's brilliant yeah she's yeah. brilliant yeah awesome. so she comes over every Tuesday and um and so I get her to you know I'm like oh what's this is this normal Jenny is this normal because it is a bit of a knock to the confidence you know when For you sure. end up back in hospital and but it's also quite nice to have the decision making taken off you um and yeah so so I would say yeah again like that hospital experience was overwhelmingly positive um and and then since we've been home from that hospital visit yeah my confidence has slowly increased Mia's putting weight on as she should be and um yeah we're just like kind of enjoying our little bubble we obviously haven't had any visitors except for Jenny um, yeah. and the midwife. Um, our midwives have come over a couple of times. Um, and that's been I, – I thought that it would be awful. I mean, not having mum and dad around has been difficult for sure, my parents. Yeah. I really am looking forward to the moment they get to meet her. Um, but I, I, I honestly, like, not having visitors um, has kind of been a blessing. Like, yeah. I – 
I um I literally take my pajamas off, have a shower, and put clean pajamas on, and yeah, you know, yeah. like like we're just in our little bubble. And with Lyndon not being able to work at the moment as well, we've we've just been able to spend the last three weeks kind of getting to know Mia together and um, not having to worry about the pressure of having people come over. Like we're still doing a lot of video calls. We call my parents a couple of times a day and all of my friends have met her on video call and things. But, um, and I don't know when, you know, when we move to level three or level two, we'll extend our bubble to my parents to include my parents. But um, I think it'll be a while before, you know, Mia's going to have a lot of other visitors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm quite comfortable with that, I think, now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, I w- it was something probably before my birth I would have been worried about, really worried about. Yeah. Um, but now that it's actually happened, I'm like, oh, this has actually been really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just allowed us to kind of work it out ourselves and take our time. And, um, yeah, and we've still had people dropping food off at our gate for us and, um you know, my friends have been phenomenal, but, um, but yeah, that she'll get a cuddle from them all in due time, I'm sure. But, um, I would say it's not, it's not been as much of a major as I probably would have thought it would have been before yeah. I gave birth, you know? So yeah, like the whole thing has actually really had some silver linings, um, yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I think that's lovely yeah. to hear because I get yeah heaps of messages from mothers who are still pregnant, really worried and anxious. Yeah. About, I mean, understandably about what's going on at the moment. So I think your story will totally. be a really nice one. Yeah, and I think you know, like I've spoken to a couple of friends who are pregnant as well, and and there's been people who've kind of said to me, um, you know, the hospital is where you don't want to be. Um, you you're safer not at the hospital. And we considered there was a period before. Um, before I gave birth where when we found out we couldn't have Sophia that we considered changing to a home birth. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's personal to everybody, but actually I felt like at the hospital, I couldn't have been in a safer place. Yeah. Um, and both times I went, I didn't feel, I, I felt safe the whole time. Um, and I felt like actually if anywhere has, um, protocols and processes for managing infection, it's there. Um, yeah. and yeah, the same with the visitors, like, you know, just knowing that there's no one who can come over and, you know, we don't know where they've been or who they've been around or whatever. It's actually been, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a blessing really. Um, so my, my experience has been really positive. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much, Mel, for coming on and sharing your story. It's been so interesting to listen to you (laughs) sort of share your experience with this whole COVID-19 thing, but also through your pregnancy journey as well. So thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Thanks again to Elevit for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This extra content wouldn't have been made without you, so thanks. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.